Web 2.0 Innovation Trend Collaboration Software Metadata Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 167 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about the subject of having multiple technology personalities, and I recommend that podcast to you. It's been a while since people have talked about something being a new killer app in, techn- in the technology world, but I think there's a new candidate for that title, and it's actually in our favorite category, Collaboration Tools. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we're going to discuss the collaboration tool Slack and the high level of buzz it's been generating, as well as share our own uh, group experience with Slack. In our second segment, we'll talk about Apple, the FBI, privacy, and practical encryption. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But first, let's talk about Slack. Back in our resolutions episode, uh, both of us resolved uh, that we would learn about a new technology. And I think both of us, perhaps unsurprisingly, maybe because I copied Dennis, uh, picked Slack. Uh, Slack is a team collaboration tool that has really become a darling among the startup companies. uh, And it's now starting to catch on in some of the forward-thinking law firms. Uh, It's been a while since uh, we talked about collaboration, which is one of our favorite topics. So we thought it might make sense to share our own experiences in using the tool. Uh, Dennis, let's start it out and why don't you tell us how do you describe Slack and what do you think has gotten people so interested in it? Well, I was uh, trying to think of the way I would describe Slack, and then I did a little research, and I found out what uh, Stuart Butterfield, who's uh, the Slack founder and and also a a Flickr uh, founder, he says, uh, we go back and forth on our own one-sentence description. When we talk more evocatively, we say it's all your communication in one place, instantly searchable and available wherever you go. On the marketing side, we give a more concrete description like it's a messaging and search platform that creates a single unified archive accessible through powerful search. So I think that what I've found so far is that the first description is really good so that it has uh, sort of specific communication or I don't know what you call it, directed communication, but related communication. You can keep it in one place. It is searchable and you can get to it on all your different devices. So time before we started recording, we were talking about the uh we like the Mac app that's on the Mac, and then it's also on on uh, smartphones as well. So you have the different different places that you can access the information. And I think as compared to email, where you just potentially have hundreds of unrelated emails coming to you in an inbox that you have to to sort through, you get this targeted communication. Uh, either that pertains to a certain topic or to the group you're in or, you know, all work things or all projects things. And so, so I think those, as Stuart uh, points out, I think having that in one place, searchable and available anywhere are, are the really attractive uh, parts of it. Uh, also, I did a little research. And I saw that uh, there are now 2 million active 
uh, 2 million users who use it every day. That, so that shows the popularity. I think that's up from, if you go back six months or so, is about a million users every day. And the other way I think about it, Tom, is, is it really is a, a team tool. So uh, our experiment with it, just the two of us for the podcast, I, it really does feel like it makes sense. I really see the benefit when you're a team and you want to have those team communications related to a project or, or you know, to that to that team all in one place. So so that's been my experience with it. And, and I think the notion is uh, of people seeing it as an alternative to email um, is, also, is also a good one uh, in this really targeted way. Well, but we, and, and we want to talk about this a little bit more later. I, I agree that many are viewing it as an alternative or, or even replacement for email. And we need to talk about the I guess, consequences of it being that kind of a tool a little bit later. But, uh, you know, I guess I should first start out by saying uh, I think that the fact that you and I use it is great and we've been getting a lot out of it and learning a lot about it. Um, I think, and I regret, that I'm not using it as part of a bigger group. I think it's a much different experience when you really do have that team concept. I know our friends on the ABA Tech Show board um, are using Slack as a, uh, as, a, as a conference management tool, and they've stopped using email. They use Slack all the time for all their communications. Um, I view Slack as a, as a great great possibility for things like that, not only using in the workplace as a team tool, but also for volunteers who are working on things, a nonprofit. I've been thinking about setting it up for one of the groups I do work with. I'm going to tell you why I'm not going to do that in just a little bit, but um, I, I'm really interested in the possibilities for the non-work use of Slack. Um, I, I think the other thing about it, and the way you try to describe it, is on the one hand, I think it's pretty simple. It's a, It seems very straightforward forward. But on the other hand, I think it's really complex. Uh, and to really get to know it uh, takes a little bit of time. You need to do a little bit of exploring. And, and I'll give you some examples of why that is a little bit later. Um, I, I, I kind of want to talk about the communication aspect because the way that you described it is it's all your communication in one place. There are a couple of ways that you can set up communications uh, to talk to people. Uh, the first is the channel. You can set up a channel uh, that uh, is designed for everybody in, in, on your team uh, on different topics. So you and I have set up a, a group for our podcast, and we have one for topic ideas, and we have one for a channel for scripts, and we have a general channel uh, where we can talk about different things in each one of those. So we limit our discussion in each one of those channels to a specific topic. Um, if you have a paid account, you can create channels that specific people are restricted from using. So you can limit the amount of channels that people on your team see if you wanted to do something like that. Um, there's other ways to talk, though, too. You're not limited to talking to everybody at once. Uh, you can set up a private group. Only those people that are invited to the group can see the information. They can, they're the only ones who can search that information. Um, you can also send direct messages to someone. So you can have a private conversation with just one person. And again, be able to send and or search that information. You can also do a lot of email-like things with it, although they're kind of email-like slash social media-like things. You can star messages you want to save. You see a message that you like, you can save it to a, to a separate area. That's kind of like folders, although all those starred messages are in one place, so you're not really putting it in individual folders. You can also 
also pin messages. So if you see a message that you want someone to see, um, you can pin it and it shows up in a specific place so everybody in that channel or on your team can see it in the same area. That's kind of how I gather. There's more to it than just the channels and we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But, um, you know, Dennis, in terms of in terms of setting up the channel, how did you find setting up an account uh, for, for Slack once you started? Well, uh, I actually found it a little bit harder than they probably want it to be. And, and I'm not sure why. So I, I've had a, a couple different experiences with Slack. And what I think is interesting about it is because it's a cloud service. Okay. So you go in and you become a user and you set up an account and you can set up your own group or you can join an existing group if you're allowed. Uh, and somebody might send you a link. So that's how I first started using Slack was that somebody uh, invited me to their group. Um, and then there just wasn't a lot of traffic there. And I ended up really not using uh, that Slack channel at all. So you you go in, you set up your Slack group. And I, I think it does work as, as Tom said. And, and I think this is important. Uh, concept. So there's a group, and then within it, there are these channels in which you divide things. So you, your analogy might be folders, and then sort of the unit of communication is, is, to me, is a post. And so you can post, and you can do attachments to those. So it, it works like a lot of uh, social media and other things. So I, I think it's a real comfortable interface. I think that our listeners who've done a lot of collaboration tools will say, I think I can do all the same things in SharePoint. I think I can do that in Facebook. I think I can do that in using LinkedIn groups. There's a whole bunch of different ways. And so what's kind of interesting is about the Slack story is how it's taking off, which tells me that they're doing some elements of usability and other things in a good way to make it really seem simple, because I don't think there's anything all that new about what they're doing, but it seems like it's it's sticky. It's easy and it's sticky, so people stay in it. That's sort of my my overview. But I would say that when I went in there, and it was you got to figure out what you're going to name your group, but it becomes part of this URL. And if you're used to you know creating URLs, it, it's okay. But I think if you're new to that. It's, it might throw you a little bit. And there are just some aspects that I just found a, a little bit harder than I expected. And Tommy, you and I were talking before the podcast of how I wished there was a dashboard where I could switch between the different groups I'm part of. I realized that there must be, but I just had trouble finding that. So I, I think there are still some things in the administrative side and setting things up that are um, a little bit more difficult Um then I might want, but I can learn that stuff. And But once I'm in it and once we started using time, I just thought it was super easy to use. It was. And, and when you talk about a dashboard, I think that it's super easy, but it's also, on the one hand, it's very basic, but on the other hand, it's very complex. So in, in, this, in the sense that it's basic is, is that when you open up the app, it looks like an instant messaging app or a text message app. It's Every channel looks like a thread of text messages uh, that, that you send to someone. And that's pretty much it. When you talk about Dennis wanting a dashboard from the Mac version, actually from any of them, you can easily switch back and forth between different accounts. So if 
if you have one for work and you have one for a group, you can easily go back and forth and see those. Um, but there's not one unified dashboard that says, here are the latest notifications or the latest messages in all of your groups. Um, I, now, whether there is a tool out there somewhere that, that takes that information and creates a dashboard kind of outside of Slack, I don't know. But that's part of what makes Slack um, the, the more complex part. Um, and what I, where I think Slack really, really shines is in its integrations, because it doesn't just say that it's a text message or communications app. I mean, they, you, you described the, the founders as having a description where it was a communications service. I think it's a lot more than that because you can actually integrate dozens of other apps to work with Slack and, and lots of apps that you're aware of and lots of new apps that are being generated all the time. So you can set up Slack, for example, to integrate with your Box or your Dropbox account so you can access documents from your account within Slack and upload it to the Slack service. Um, you can access your calendar, your wonder list or other to-do list. You can download files. You can add things to your calendar. You can check your tasks. You can add tasks to people all from within Slack. You don't have to actually be within that service to do it. Slack integrates to the extent that you can manage all of those things within Slack. The categories are really, I'm, I'm just going to list a couple of them, but they include communication, file management, human resources, marketing, office management, payments and accounting, productivity, project management. There's one for social and fun. Those are the categories of all the integrations. I didn't even mention all of them. There's a lot more for software developers and things like that. Um, there's so many different kinds. To me, this is the genius of Slack um, because I think without these integrations, Slack is or has the potential to be just one more silo for us to sync our information into. But I think that the integration allows us to connect all of our silos together so that we can access all of it in one place. So I, I guess I've been thinking about it a little bit like a silo hub. It's a, it's a place where you can communicate, but you can access all of your other pieces of information to the extent that, uh, that that's useful to you in your job. I, I agree with you on the integrations. I, mean, I tend to call those add-ins or plug-ins, so that's another way to, to think about them. But, uh, you know, you sent the script to me in Slack, and it opened in Dropbox, and I could work with it really easily, and I didn't have to make a, a second move with that. Uh, you posted something the other night that I could see came from your your wonder list uh, or was connected in some some way to that. So uh, people who are heavy Slack users really like this. Uh, I don't know what you call it as a secondary market in, in plugins, add ins, integrations with other things. And so it, it works, works well. Uh, with your smartphones and, and other things that you're doing. So I, I think all of those things are in its favor because, as we always say on collaboration tools, that they work really great until people start slipping back to email and then their utility goes down to zero. So, uh, you know, so I don't see that. I, I don't hear of that happening as, as much with Slack. So I, I think they're they're doing a good thing there. There's this email piece of it, though, at the time that we, we ran into right away was that we started using the the slack program and then we would email each other to say hey tom would you check your slack and and then you would email me and say if you would have checked looked in slack you would have seen that i already replied well uh you know, once you said that to me i just went ahead and i pulled the my slack icon to the to the home page on my phone 
and I enabled the notifications, at least a little badge with the number so I can see when something new comes to me on Slack because I just made it important enough where I want to know those notifications. And and now it's way easier for me to communicate with you through Slack because I see when something comes in and I need to deal with it. Oh, and I get notifications um, instantly from two different things. I, I On my Android phone, the notifications are on my notification panel. So I, I see that uh, I won't say instantaneously, but but it's all it's 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 sitting there in a permanent state for me until I dismiss it. And then with the Mac app, the Mac app will actually show a little notification up in the corner of the screen whenever uh, whenever you try to communicate with me. So it's I, I think that the notifications um, again ha- is a is a two edged sword because I think that it's great in order in, 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 to the fact that you can see what's going on and get notification of anything that anybody does immediately. I think the downside is is that if you've got a team using it, then it's uh, you you may wind up getting a lot of notifications. I know that there is a way to be more granular about the notifications that you get and to try to limit what you get and how you get it. Uh, and I would really recommend that people who are trying it out look at those settings because I could see with a, with a large team that the notifications would be constant and and just unending in, in their volume. I'm wondering if we talk a little bit about a couple of things that uh, that we like, that we don't like about it. Maybe we'll start about the things that what we like most so I think we've kind of already covered that. One more thing I want to cover is a type of add-in or integration that Slack has that I think may be the topic of a future podcast, or at least I need to convince Dennis of this, and that's that's the bot. There are bots out there that can uh, automate tasks for you, and we're starting to see a lot more of them added to uh, added to Slack. I think, frankly, Dennis's clo- parting shot today is going to be uh, discussing a bot. Um, but I'll give an example for Slack. Let's say that um, you want to have a status meeting in your office, but you don't have the time every day to actually run that status meeting to see how people are doing. Um, you can actually set up a bot within Slack. It will run the meeting for you. Uh, the bot uses Slack to pull the team and ask questions about what you're current currently doing. It will then report all of that information back to you and people will respond that they're working on this case or they filed the discovery in this case or uh, here are some of the challenges I had this past week. Um, I, I, that's just one example, but there are some bots that do some pretty amazing things in terms of automating tasks and doing doing you know short and small and not complicated activities that you just don't have time to do. I think that's really an interesting uh, addition and where I think kind of the future of, of what we're, we're seeing with technology is going with these bots. Yeah, that is a that is a cool area. And I, and I but I do think it's sort of, you know, not necessarily Slack 101. But, uh, but I think for certain uses, it could be a really cool thing. And, and so when I think of what we're doing, Tom, and what I like, uh, we don't have time-sensitive things and a lot of deadlines because we decide when the podcast is going to be and when we record it and those sorts of things. We have a limited number of tasks for any any podcast, and so I don't I don't think I'm getting a great sense of how useful Slack could be when you're on deadlines and there's there's a lot of moving parts on a project. But I certainly see uh, the potential for that. So I guess what I found uh, in in our simple experiment is that I I just found the channels surprising surprisingly useful. And and I think this shows the benefit over email. So we have just a few 
channels. So there's the A topic where we say what's going to be the main topic. We have a channel for the B topic, which is the second segment. We have uh, something for scripts so we can exchange drafts of the, the script. And we have sort of, I don't know what we call it, ideas, but we have sort of a general thing. Rather than say, oh, I emailed Tom with some topic ideas a while back and go back and find that. And we have many examples, including our failed Evernote collaboration example of where we tried to keep uh, topic ideas. For me, this seems a lot easier. And I know I can just go look at the A topics and see what all we've talked about and any ideas we have about an upcoming one. Same with B topics. Exchanging scripts is super easy to do that. And it's, again, in one place. So I'm not searching through email. Um, when we have ideas, so Tom, I mentioned that I had listened to a podcast where somebody was talking about email newsletters, and I, I thought maybe we, you and I should talk about the idea of doing an email newsletter uh, in connection with the podcast. Then I can just throw it into what I'll call like an ideas channel. You're not overwhelmed by that, and it's just really easy to go back in and track where you've been. And we're not doing enough where I don't. I think that search is that valuable, but over a period of time, search could be really valuable. Um, so I see channels is a great thing. Thing. Search is a great thing. And then this, there's this notion I have, it seems like this great kind of ad hoc collaboration tool where, you know, we're doing something with some organization or you're part of a, you know, a team, uh, you know, a sports team or something else, or you're just trying to organize, you know, you have a, a book group or something like that. I could see where Slack could be just a terrific tool. Uh, for that, that would be really easy to use. So I just see tons of potential, both with internal, external groups. And like I said, this, this notion of, of just that, that super simple ad hoc collaboration tool that you can get people on really quickly. Yeah, I think that that when you talk about the, I, I like the channel that we have for the topics, uh, but but if we're talking perhaps a Slack two hundred one kind of thought when it comes to those topic uh, our A topics is, I don't want to have to go back and look through that entire list of our suggestions and look back months and months and months for the things you talked about. So the next step for me would be to find an integration that would take those topics and throw them into a list that I can then access from within Slack and I can see the list of topics all in one place, even though we're talking about them in the moment, um, we, we may have a historic list that's somewhere else. So that's, I, I again, this is where I need to learn more about Slack. There may be a tool like that. There may be a bot that can automate something like that. I would want to learn more about that in my kind of Slack 201 phase. Um, in terms of what doesn't work, there's two things that I'm not a big fan of. First is really the pricing structure. You can create an account for free. Dennis and I have a free account. You can have unlimited users there, uh, but you, you're limited to five app integrations, which may or may not be a big deal. And you can't restrict access to channels. So everyone in your group gets to see all of the channels, which again, may or may not be a big deal. The group that I wanna set things up for has about 60 people in it. So it's a lot of people. I want to be able to say that certain people only get to see certain channels and I can't do that for free. I have to buy the paid version and I'm not against paying for it, but it's a little, it's prohibitively expensive for this group of people who are not going to pay for it themselves. It, uh, the standard plan is $8 per user per month. So if I had all of my volunteers who are part of that, it would be almost $500 a month just to have them on that particular plan. So that really doesn't work. Um, I, I, for business, that may 
maybe not be a big, big expense. I think uh, I wish the free version offered a little bit more flexibility. The second issue for me is a little bit more serious. Um, it's one that I don't think is likely to get fixed anytime soon. And that is, I think Slack works well for groups who don't need to use email or don't rely on email or who want to move away from email. But if you still got to use email in your job, I think Slack really does become that other silo that holds some, but not all, of your communications. And the fact that the fact is that most lawyers are still going to need to rely on email to communicate with others outside their office. If we could get everyone else to use Slack, that would be great. But it, we can't. And and so I think for the foreseeable future, stuck with using tools with e like email, which I think makes Slack less of a convenience. That's why, although I really love the tool, I still see it working best for companies who don't need to communicate much with the outside world. And, and that doesn't necessarily include lawyers um, or for lawyers who want to let up Slack accounts for other groups in which they participate. I'm, I may be wrong. I know several firms are using Slack and are successful with it. If one of you that's listening out there is doing that, please let us know how it works for you and let us know how you make it work. I'm just skeptical on my end. I know that for my consulting company, we rely so much on outside communication by email. Um, it would really be difficult maintaining two different silos of information. I don't know about you, Dennis. Yeah, I, I, so that's one of my concerns is I think that uh, for a lot of people, this will double your need for knowing tech uh, because, you, you know, email exists out there. Uh, you may have restrictions on what you can use inside an organization. Uh, you might be in SharePoint. You might be in some other collaboration tools. You, you could be in, I don't know, a whole bunch of collaboration tools. Um, and then this is just one more that you, that you have to learn. And unless you can get the connections between, which, you know, by, by policy or for security reasons, you may not be able to do, you're, you're running another parallel uh, structure or, or, or a silo. Um, so, so I think this is, is something that makes sense to pick and choose. I think that why, why a lot of the examples of successes are startups are because you can just jump on this platform so easily and use it, and then you don't have that whole history of email and other systems. So I see if you're starting from scratch. And that's why I mentioned I like it as an ad hoc collaboration tool, you know, with like those social groups and other things that you're doing because then you don't have to uh, rely so much on that. I mean, I, could, I look back to when uh, my daughter was in elementary school and I could see like as, as parents setting up a, a Slack group with channels could be really useful. So, so I see that as being a cool thing not to step on your territory Tom but uh, I, I sort of feel lawyers really need to know this because it's so hot and so many people are using it because it's another place that people are storing important information and communications uh, and that means evidence and uh, so it's just another tech tool that lawyers cannot ignore because in a lot of cases the most important information is going to be in there well, and I agree. And, and I think that the, the, the problem around discovery really is that, um, you know, like I said, it's almost like I feel like I'm having an instant messaging conversation or I'm sending a text message. And because of that, I think that our conversations on Slack are likely to be even more informal than they would be in email, which um, we've seen what people say in email in discovery. So I think that's obviously something you need to think about. But second, I, I just don't know. And I, I would want to talk to some people who are more engaged in 
e-discovery than I am, but how do you parse a Slack conversation? You know, with email, each message is in a single container, so to speak, and, and other messages are in the thread if necessary. But with Slack, I don't know if you can surgically export relevant parts of a conversation or if you have to have our whole channel and, and you produce a whole channel. Um, and with all those integrations that are out there, now does that mean that all of your associated tools and the information contained in them are relevant because because somehow they are connected to your Slack account. I, I'm sure there are ways to defensively produce only the relevant information, but I think these are the sorts of things that you need to think about again. And and, and I, I think like you, I, I really recommend that people take a look at Slack, see how it works, test it out and, and take and do that. But keep it keep these things in mind because I think they're 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 good smart things for lawyers to think about when using a tool like this. I think it's a technology that's hot enough that it makes sense to try. There's some some easy ways to try it with small groups, as Tom and I are doing. Uh, there's some other ideas you might try. I, I'd be interested. I mean, Tom, you asked the listeners for ideas and, and examples of what they're doing. It's intriguing to think of what uh, a Slack group of listeners to this podcast might do. I also think uh, for people who are interested in the mastermind sort of concept where, you know, you have a group of, of advisors, uh, informal group of advisors who help each other out, you know, maybe like six to 10 people. I could see how Slack could facilitate that sort of thing. Uh, so there are a number of things out there to try. So um, it's a, it is an interesting space. And I, I don't know that it is a killer app in the same sense of spreadsheets and some of the other things that have been called killer apps, but, um, the uptake and the buzz around this is, is very high. So definitely something for lawyers to look into. And especially if you're a litigator or you're involved in, uh, on, like you are, Tom, on the records management side, I, it's not a technology I would recommend that you stay in the dark about. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mall Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. The time of this recording, there's been a big battle going on between Apple and the FBI over access to, depending on the story, either one iPhone in particular used by uh, a shooter in the mass killing in, in San Bernardino, or as I saw this morning, maybe uh, some more that the FBI is wanting to have Apple unlock. It's a, it's a really complex and interesting story, and there are a lot of nuances, and so it's worthwhile reading um, all the discussions out there. The issue is not even close to being resolved at the time of this recording, and it could take years and go to the Supreme Court to get it finally resolved. But there also may be developments by the time you actually hear this episode. So rather than make predictions, we thought it was a good time to talk about practical encryption, um, because in some ways that surrounds this whole notion of the Apple uh, FBI, I don't know what to call it, brouhaha, but anyway, the, the, certainly the 
the events that are going on right now. So, Tom, does the battle, this battle, make the atmosphere around encryption even more murky than it already has been? Well, I think so, and we'll I'll mention in a second that that uh, most lawyers still aren't using some form of encryption, and so a lot of them may not have a, a dog in this hunt, so to speak. We don't want to get into the technical aspects of this. I think I think we both defer to our good friends Sharon Nelson and John Simic, who I'm sure will be discussing this topic soon if they haven't already. Uh, from, from an outcome standpoint, I really wouldn't have a problem if there was a way. Uh, to break into that one phone and not affect, or, or the other phones, to, assuming they are relevant, and not affect any other phone out there. I, I don't want that to come at the expense of potentially opening up back doors of every phone out there, because I think the government or hackers or other governments now have potential access to the keys, okay? I will step down from my soapbox at this point and just say, I, I think the other issue that I'm thinking about in terms of this case is, I don't know what kind of information law enforcement really expects to find on the phone, and I'd, I'd love to hear from Sharon and John on this, because a lot of what's on your phone already exists someplace else. Your email, your instant messages, your text messages, a lot of app information is already synchronized to other locations where it's probably unencrypted or at least easier to get into. And I, I think a, a phone is definitely going to have photos. There's probably some application-based information. I'd really be interested to know what could be solely on the phone that would be of interest to law enforcement in this matter. But that's that's something I haven't heard anything about. Does that make the lawyer's relationship with encryption even more murky? I think it has already been murky. I, I think it's murkier, if that's a word. Um, other than using passwords on their phones, the, the ABA's Legal Technology Resource Center report shows that very few lawyers um, use, and they don't do a lot to encrypt their communication. So I think the average lawyer his or her information, this story probably isn't that big a deal. Um, I, and I, But I think it should be. I, I guess this is our opportunity, again, I think our regular opportunity to say that, at least for now, encryption is a good way to ensure that the confidential information of your practice is not falling into the wrong hands, whether that's the government or hackers or other governments, whoever it is. So using basic encryption tools, uh, I think we're all going to recommend is a great thing until <laughs> until there's a back door that gets built into them, which we hope that day is not going to come. If you're not using some level of encryption on your phone, um, I think you're still in the minority, actually. I think that you should be setting a passcode, a password, something to lock your phone uh, when you don't have access to it. Think about using encryption on your email messages as well. I think the tools for encrypting email are more plentiful than ever, and they're a lot easier and cheaper to use than they have been in the past. And finally, I think make sure that the laptop that you use on the road is using full disk encryption. That means you've got to use a password just to get into your entire laptop. It's not really enough, although it's not a bad idea, to encrypt things on the file level. But um, if you happen to lose your laptop, you really want to make sure that you stop the bad guys at the gates. You don't want to make them let them in to wander around and try to get access to your files. So I really think that full disk encryption, if you're not using it, is really an important, uh, important tool. Those are kind of my three quick hit, Dennis, on things. A little bit practical, but uh, short and sweet. Dennis, what about you? Yeah, I, I think the full disk encryption is is a big one. I mean, that's a simple setting these days. And if your laptop gets stolen, that's a big help. And I think that using secure channels, encryption of, of certain things, I, I, so it's tax season. And I, it'd be nice to back up my tax returns, which have social security numbers and other things on it. 
And if I wanted to put it in Dropbox or online backup, I I would encrypt those. And so I, I think you start to say, well, there's a lot of things that I would want to just go ahead and encrypt, especially if I'm storing them in the cloud. And I might want to encrypt email and I might want to encrypt things. I want to, you know, it's, some things can be fast enough. You can encrypt everything. And so it's become easier and you can just tick through a lot of things that it makes sense to to encrypt. I think the concern here is that if law enforcement can then say, uh, hey, we can make you unencrypt or we can make a third party unencrypt or I'm using the Apple phone because I know it's secure. That's one of the things they say that this can't be broken. And then Apple or another third party can unencrypt what I'm doing. That's really not what I bargained for. And that really feels like I did something to keep things private and it got taken away from me in, in a way that I didn't expect. So, so I, I think there are a lot of those issues out there. And then what's that going to mean if, if I'm doing something where I say this is confidential and my argument is it's confidential because it's encrypted and, I, and somebody says, oh, no, there's a key, it can be unlocked. Does that have some evidentiary or other consequence uh, because it's no longer technically confidential because it can be unencrypted. All these things are moving targets. There are two sides of every story, but it does feel that in this world where we're battling to keep whatever shreds of privacy are, are left for us, that encryption is one way that you can do that that makes a lot of sense. And if, you know, the government or, you know, court order or whatever, where you're not sure how the balancing is taking place, opens that up to someone else, it's just a really, really difficult issue. And I think it's, you know, some of these times things are, uh, you know, as, as they say, uh, hard cases make bad law. Uh, so um, I sort of feel... You know, when I look at these things, that as it becomes easier to encrypt and I encrypt more, I would hate to find that it all can be unlocked really easily. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I'm going to talk about Eero, E-E-R-O. Eero is billed as finally Wi-Fi that works. Um, I have a big problem in my two-story house in that uh, I have a couple of dead zones in the kitchen and in the bedroom where the Wi-Fi just peters out or is a very weak signal because I cannot get it to extend. I've used extenders. They don't work very well. Uh, What Eero does is it sets up a mesh network in your house so that the um, so you, you you buy a couple of different devices. Uh, they say that a set of three devices covers the typical home. That they work in unison to give you a very fast uh, Wi-Fi network. Uh, Walt Mossberg from The Verge uh, has reviewed them. He said that he was able to hook up about 16 different devices and run Netflix and run gaming and download movies and do all sorts of things. And his Wi-Fi worked flawlessly the entire time. So uh, it's a little pricey. They're hundred. 99 each, a three-pack for $4.99, so I may be saving up a little bit before I buy them, but I'm really intrigued at, at this new product. They just went on sale the past couple of days as, as of this recording. It's Eero, E-E-R-O. So I have a couple things. Tom, uh, with the recent death of uh, Justice Scalia, uh, the Supreme Court is going to be front and center in our attention over the next 
several months or even years. So I, I recommend a, a, a slate podcast called Amicus with Dahlia Lithwick, uh, where they, they cover the Supreme Court decisions, developments. Um, and I think that's going to be a great place to get, for those who like podcasts, to get uh, good information about the Supreme Court and hear what people are talking about. And then I, I want to touch, and Tom, I know you put the URLs on the in the show notes, so they're long ones, so I won't, I won't read them off. But these are bot notes. And so it's worth seeing what's going on here. But uh, one that was recent was uh, a 19-year-old in Britain created a free lawyer bot that's successfully appealing parking tickets. And so I think this is one of these areas where there's this need for legal types of services that don't make sense for a lot of lawyers to do profitably. And uh, uh, so this is an example where somebody's figuring out an automated way to do that. And, and the other one uh, is something you can look at robo-investment or robo-wealth advisors. And so this is an interesting area where uh, software or service, software services can give financial advice, help you manage your investments in a way that we used to rely on stockbrokers to do by taking advantage of algorithms and other approaches to help you keep investments balanced and, and do other things like that. So definitely an area where the bots are making some inroads against the humans. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts or within your favorite podcatching app. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I am Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.